Welcome to NSN Daily here on a Wednesday, brought to you by the Dolan Auto Group. Chris Murray and Brian Samudio with you. Uh, another packed show. Uh, NCAA makes a huge decision about uh, what athletes can do and profit off of. We're going to kind of break that down a little bit, and we're going to hear from uh, Jeff Goodman from uh, Stadium. Uh, Murray's mailbag is this week as well, so we're going to dive into that, and we will dive back into this <laughs> self-proclaimed nickname that Julian wants to give himself, and I'm, I, I just have to weigh in on this. Um, the World Series. If you're uh, the visiting team, congratulations. I know. You're always going <laughs> to. It's just weird. It's been bizarre. And, uh, of course, some Nevada basketball. And uh, Brandon Marshall's back in the league, as we thought that he should be back with the Raiders. So we'll kick that around as well. But um, exhibition tonight, depending on what time you uh, see this show, and I say it a lot, but it's just <laughs> the truth. Uh, we tape earlier in the day, so it depends on what time you, saw, you see this show. The pack is going to play or has played <laughs> or is playing yeah. at this time against Colorado Christian. Yeah, and it should be a fun game. I mean, uh, I think there are a couple of initiatives that Coach Alford wants to see done in this game improvement from when they played 10 days ago he wants them to pass the ball a little bit more be a little bit more vocal on defense and then for me I just want to see who's able to show up who showed up in the first game because right. that's the biggest thing when you go from a role player to somebody who needs to be relied on game in and game out is you can't have lulls in your play and you have to be consistent uh, and coach Alford really talked a lot about concentration being a big word for his team and his programs over the years because if you can concentrate uh, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter whether you're in practice or in games, then you'll be more consistent in your play. So will we see Jalen Harris play and have a 20-point game like he did last time? Will we see Zane Meeks, a young freshman, be able to repeat what we saw in that first exhibition, which was kind of eye-opening? Will we see Nizre Zuzwa uh, be able to come off the bench and give the team a spark? So will it will it be the same players, or will somebody else kind of shoot up? And uh, will uh, Lindsey Drew look a little bit better than he did in the first game now that he's knocked some rust off? So, I mean, you can't read too much in the exhibitions, well, but course. I do think if you can see some consistency with Nevada's better players, I think that's a good sign heading into the season. Nevada will be adding a piece tonight in mm -hmm. this one with Robbie Robinson. Um, what are your thoughts on, on getting Robbie to play? And now uh, we've seen them already go out there with a set of chess pieces, and now you're adding another yeah. another player to it. I think his big thing is rebounding. I mean, he's a very good rebounder at the high school level, at the junior college level. It's different at the Division One level, but usually rebounding more than any other stat is something that will transfer from one level to the next. You even hear it from college to the NBA. If you can rebound, you can rebound. And I think uh, Steve Alford is going to give minutes, especially in the front court, to players who will defend and rebound. Yes. And Robbie's kind of a more slight kid. He's like six foot eight, So he's not this big, bulky defender. But if he can rebound, he's going to find his way onto the court this season. Same with Zane Meeks. Zane was struggling rebounding in practice, and then he goes out and he leads the team in the first exhibition with 14 rebounds. So that is going to earn him more minutes tonight. Uh, John Carlos Reyes, uh, a bigger kid than those two. He's, he's known for his rebounding. And then we have K.J. Himes. So you're talking about four guys who are probably going to be fighting for somewhere around 80 minutes a game because I think Nevada is going to rely on its backcourt pretty heavily. Mm -hmm. And whoever rebounds the best, if Robbie can come out and rebound, then I think he's going to get a chance to earn minutes. But uh, that, that's what it's going to come down to on that front court. If you want to play, you got to defend and rebound. And that's what Steve Alford wants to build his team around. He's a capable three-point shooter. He's not as good of a three-point shooter as Zane Meeks, but he's kind of that stretch four who can rebound, who can shoot some threes, who can defend for you. So those are really his big uh, three initiatives heading into this game. All right, let's check in with head coach Steve Alford talking about his team getting ready for their second exhibition affair. Our guys are hungry to play somebody else. They're tired of playing against each other, and I get that because um, it, it does become long. So um, I just want to see where we are. I want to be able to grade regardless of this opponent's better or worse. We don't really know that. It's more about us and the things that we didn't like in game one. Are we better in game two? So to basically do in a 10-day window is their progression on how we value the ball, 
what we our execution on offense, which we I, we knew we were behind on the on the 18th. So is our execution better on offense of making our reads that we need to read when somebody throws different defensive schemes against us, like how you guard pick and roll or how you guard off ball, how our guys react to that stuff. And then on the defensive side, um, you know, we, we were pretty good for the for that time of year. I liked what we did defensively against a team that could drive us and do a lot of things. Now, can we build upon that and be better than what we were on the 18th? So um, I think that's probably what we're looking at. It's not any different than what we went into the first game with scouts and all that. It's really going to be about us. Coach Alford talking about how his guys are hungry, and um, we saw in their first exhibition uh, the guy who may be who was maybe starving the most and needed to eat was Jalen Harris. And Harris went out and did what we thought and what we knew he could do. And now, like you said, consistency and doing it every single night. I mean, that's one of the that's going to be one of the keys. And if if Jalen can do that every night, this this team has a chance to do something special. Yeah, I think he's the next star of the Wolfpack. I think he's an All Conference player. All he really has to do is play the way he played at Louisiana Tech. So you would figure he'd be able to translate his game and be a guy who can give you 16, 17, 18 points per game. And he has the potential. I mean, look at the, the arm length there, a six foot five guard. He has the potential to be a really good perimeter defender as well. So uh, he's going to be the guy that I, if I were the opposing defense going into the game, if I was Utah's head coach, my first initiative uh, would be to stop Jalen. Mm -hmm. I mean, he would be the guy before Lindsey Drew, before Jazz Johnson, before anybody else on the court, he would be the guy who I would focus on stopping in that game because he is so explosive. He can go out and have a 30-point game. He can go out and get to the free throw line 12 times. He can go out and hit five three-pointers. There's a lot of versatility in his offense that you don't see from the average player being able to do so many different good things. He also had eight rebounds in the first exhibition game, so he can rebound from that position. So uh, I think he's going to have a fantastic season. I think there is going to be a lot of pressure on him as the season goes on. Mm -hmm. And can he continue to play through that, continue to play through, you know, teams game planning against him? Uh, I think he can. I, I'm super high on this kid. I think he uh, would have played probably 30 minutes on last year's team, and we know how talented of a roster that was. We don't get a three keys and a prediction on an <laughs> exhibition game. Nah. <laughs> out of out of Chris Murray, but I, I think this is one of those games that Nevada is going to continue to do what we see in exhibition games. Let's work on themselves. I mean, you could hear in Coach Alford uh, his press conference this week saying, "Hey, I, we don't worry about our opponent; we worry about ourselves." And here's Coach Alford talking about that transfer guard, Jalen Harris, the junior who came to Nevada from Louisiana Tech. I think he's huge uh, because he's very versatile. He can play. You know, we don't do a lot of numbering, but if you do number, he can play the one, the two, and the three for us. Um, you know, so he's somebody, he's got big-time basketball IQ, extremely athletic. Um, he would be the first to tell you offensively. I don't know if he really got in the groove in game one, but he ends up with 21, 22 points, um, and that's how talented he is. I, I think he is a, he's a, a big talent for us, and he could be a lockdown defender as well. So, which is always good, because I think defense starts with how the ball how ball hits your defense, and that's always guard play. So if our guard play defense can can do a good job, I think it's going to help our bigs who have a lot of inexperience. Most of our inexperience is in the front court. So we've got to make sure we're really solid at the front court of the defense, and Jalen can do that. He can guard multiple positions, not just offensively play multiple positions. You know, Chris, the buzz about this team is still very, very high here in northern Nevada. I have folks come up to me literally in the grocery store and go, I hear about this guy, Jalen Harris. I haven't seen him play yet. 
And I actually revert to you and I say, you know what, I think Chris makes a great point by saying he's he's a lot like a Caleb Barton. He's a, he's an athletic guy who can get to the free throw line. He can shoot the three. He can play he can play defense. He's maybe a, a, a hybrid of Cody and Caleb. Is that yeah. accurate? No, I think it is accurate. I think he can do a ton of good things and I think he has proven himself at this level. I mean, he's a good Division One player. Can he be a Mountain West Player of the Year kind of player? Can he lead a team to 20, 23 wins? Can he lead a team to a Mountain West Championship? That's going to kind of be put on his shoulders this season. But, uh, yeah, I think he's a potential pro. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, Steve Alford coached Zach Levine at UCLA. Zach was a one-and-done who was a slam dunk contest champion. Yeah. He's a, you know, a max player in the NBA. And when he first got the job, that's who the comparison was to. So that shows you exactly what kind of a ceiling this player has. I think he can plead. He's going to be a pro. Can he be an NBA player? I think is the next question. So, uh, yeah, I think he's a tremendous player. If he can stay healthy, he's going to be productive, and he's going to be a huge piece to what this team is trying to do this season. He's going to have the most shots on the team as well. Mm -hmm. He's going to take, you know, 15 shots per game. They're going to run their offense through him a large part. So it's a doubleheader at Lawler Events Center this afternoon. Uh, 4 p.m. is when the doors will open for the women's exhibition game. Women will play at 5.30 against William Jessup. Now, if you get there before 5.30, <laughs> admission's free. And they're not going to be counting heads or counting noses after 5.30. But after 5.30, it's 10 bucks to get in. So get there early and go yeah. watch the women's game. Women with, uh, with Amanda Levins and, and turning this uh, program around and get, trying to get that team to the NCAA tournament. But then it'll be Colorado Christian against Nevada at uh, 7.30 p.m. We'll have full coverage tonight on our sister station. That's News 4 and, of course, all over our, our website as well. Should be fun tonight. Yeah, it should be a really good game. And, uh, only six days away from the season opener. I mean, it's come so quickly, and right. it's a huge test against Utah right off the bat. Start with four straight home games, so a chance to get under their feet, play in front of their home crowd. But, uh, yeah, before you know it, it'll probably be March. So we'll see exactly how this team mm -hmm. kind of, you know, pulls through the season. But, yeah, like you, I mean, the anticipation is huge just because it's the unknown. Yeah. It's what will you see with Steve Alford? How will it be different from Eric Musselman? All of these names that people have heard but don't really know about. Right. How will they fare now that the spotlight is completely on them? Coming up next here on NSN Daily, it has been a crazy World Series, and the drama continues going into Game 7. What's going to happen next? Well, we're going to ask, we'll, we'll make Chris do a production. We'll do that. That's next. <laughs> 162 regular season games. We've got playoff series after playoff series. Now to the World Series, and we're down to one single contest. I oh, mean, this great. is hilarious. I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's the best thing about sports is when you have a uh, winner wins the entire championship, loser season is over, both teams can win the championship on a single game. Uh, everything is thrown out there. I would not be shocked if you saw Steven Strasburg have to come out and get an out. Uh, right. You know, they really did extend him yesterday. Yeah. Uh, but when there's a world championship on the line, you do whatever you have to do to get to that finish line to, to get that victory. Has it blown you away just how... Now, I don't want to say inept, but how home teams just cannot play at home. Right? I mean, this is crazy. Oh, and six is unbelievable. I can't, I, yeah, I don't know the stats on that, but yeah. I can't imagine this has ever happened before. No. Um, it's kind of weird. I mean, you, you fight all season to get that home field advantage, and then when it comes down to it in the World Series, none of it matters. Yeah. So it's been crazy. But uh, the, basically, when Max Scherzer or Steven Strasburg has started a game in the playoffs, the Nationals have been unbeatable. I yeah. mean, they've not lost a game when one of those two has pitched. Uh, and I think they've only won two games when they didn't pitch. So having uh, Max Scherzer on the mound for this game is huge for the Nationals. Uh, Zach Grinke is getting paid more than $30 million a year for the Astros for a moment like this. So the pitching matchup should be really fun. Uh, it'll be really fun to see who comes out on top. And the drama has absolutely just been cranked up. I mean, especially after 
this play, then Rendon goes deep, <laughs> and and suddenly Scherzer gets to sit down, and he had been warming up. Yeah. And now you get Scherzer thrown tonight, and it depends to me on what Zach Grinke shows up. And of course, Dave Martinez gets chucked, <laughs> and I'm, I'm watching this game and going, man, I, I can't believe what, what we're going to see. And we get one more of them, yeah. but I think it's, to me it's Grinke. To me it's what Zach Grinke shows up. Yeah, I mean, he's been good in some playoff starts. He's been bad in other playoff starts. He hasn't been quite as good in the postseason as he been, has been in the regular season. And you have Scherzer who had to uh, miss a start just a couple of days ago because of a neck injury. So how healthy is he going to be? He's the ultimate competitor. He's going to do whatever he can to get on the field. But if he's not at 100%, if he's compromised as a pitcher, how much does that hurt the Nationals? Mm -hmm. So I think there are uh, question marks about both of these pitchers. But both of them are capable of going out there and giving you seven shutout innings. We've right. seen it in the past. So it should be a really fun game. I mean, the Astros, to me, still have the better lineup. But the way Juan Soto and Anthony Rendon are hitting right now, you can't get through those two without giving up some sort of damage so uh, they've really put the team on the back from the offensive perspective I just hope it's a close game we haven't had a ton of close games the first yeah. game was a one-run game uh, and we haven't had any other close games since then although yesterday's was pretty close going into the latter inning so uh, you know I'm kind of pulling for the Nationals it would be fun to see a team that has not won in its franchise's history be able to go out and win a world championship the Astros obviously won a couple of years ago uh, but both of these teams are very deserving they've played tremendous baseball uh, you know throughout the whole regular season but also in the playoffs so uh, you, these are the moments that you live for as a player. And there's mm -hmm. going to be a hero that comes out of this game who's yeah. remembered forever in the city. And unfortunately, there's probably going to be a goat on the other side as well. Well, I mean, you look at Anthony Rendon, I mean, who played his college baseball at Rice University yeah. in Houston. I mean, right down the street. To me, though, I don't remember a World Series where you've got teams, you've got players, you've got umpires that all become factors. Here, a stadium has become a factor because of the left field Crawford boxes, yeah. that short porch in left. When you got Kurt Suzuki yakking one out, <laughs> and I mean, Rendon just reaches out and golfs one, you know, that to me has become uh, somebody that's part of this play. It's yeah. become an actor and a character in this play is the stadium because, you know, there's a lot of those home runs that would have been caught in dead left at Dodger Stadium I mean, oh, sure. or, or anywhere else. And wow. so it becomes, it becomes a factor. I remember the World Series two years ago, Dodgers versus Astros, game five. There were a number of cheap home runs in that. I mean, Yasiel Puig with one hand hit a three-run homer yeah. over the left field fence because the, the fence is so close. And if you do give up a cheap home run as a pitcher, how do you rebound from that? Mm -hmm. That's a big question mark. Do you have the mental toughness to continue to battle and get through it? So uh, as good as these two pitchers can be, I think you're going to see a higher scoring atmosphere mm -hmm. just because of the home park. I mean, you can fool a, a hitter and he can still hit a home run off the ball. Uh, so it, it, it'll be fun to see exactly what happens. Uh, I do lean Astros. Uh, I don't know exactly which way you're leaning. You know, me, I, I think the Astros, I mean, you look at you look at that murderer's row up and down yeah. the lineup. Everybody can go deep. I mean, all the way back to Uriel and, and everybody. I mean, I, I, I love watching George Springer play. I love watching Jose Altuve play. But on the other side, Ryan Zimmerman, the first draft yeah. pick by the Nationals, and, and Soto becoming this character. And whether or not Grinky's <laughs> going to go up and in on Soto again. <laughs> I mean, what do you say to a kid like Juan Soto who you can tell it's – it's not disrespectful. I yeah. don't think he's trying to be disrespectful. He's 21 years old, just turned 21 literally this week, but pitches low and outside, and he's dancing yeah. in the box a little bit. And then Grinky goes high and high and in with the with a high fastball and, yeah. and catches his attention a little bit. But and he goes I, up there again and gives yeah. up a home run. And then he gives up the and home run. Bregman's walking his bat to first base. Right. And, and he apologizes for that. Response. Like I, to me, that's fun though. Mm -hmm. Like I remember that Astros Dodgers World Series, and everybody was pimping home runs, and every time they scored, it was like a celebration. And like let it be that way. Yeah. Let it be fun. Like I like watching touchdown celebrations in the NFL. I like 
players, as long as they're not rubbing it in the face of the opponent, going out yeah. there and having fun. Like these moments are what you live for. You have a moment like this. You hit a, you know, in Soto's case, a go-ahead home run in the you know late innings against Justin Verlander, a Hall of Fame pitcher. Go out there and have some fun and enjoy yourself. And uh, that's what we've seen from this series. And it is really a lot of new faces who were kind of underrated stars being pushed to the forefront. I mean, mm -hmm. Steven Strasburg is pitching like Madison Bumgarner did in the World Series or Sandy Koufax did in the World Series, become an absolute star, probably going to opt out and make a lot of money. Garrett Cole has pitched phenomenally. He's a free agent after this year, going to make a ton of money. Anthony Rendon, probably the most underrated superstar in baseball. He's a free agent after this mm -hmm. year. He's going to be cashing a big check. And then to me, Juan Soto and Alex Bregman, these two really young players, very enthusiastic players. Uh, you know, these are a lot of fresh names that I think the game needs to embrace and just let them play the way they want to play. I mean, Bregman apologized after doing it yesterday. Right. And I'm like, you don't need to apologize for that, man. You just hit a home run. You're excited. Uh, you carried the bat down to first base. Now, if you ran all the way around with the bat, right. that's a little that's a foolish. Thing, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, they're having fun out there. They're playing great baseball, and they're giving entertainment to everybody who loves to watch baseball. I think, ultimately, if I'm a skipper in either of the dugouts tonight, if my pitcher gets two clean slates, first and second inning, look out. Because yeah. you've seen a lot of offense early on and momentum shifts in this series. And if you can get cranky or you can get Scherzer through the first couple of frames and maybe three frames and get them kind of locked in, get those butterflies and that adrenaline down and they can kind of get locked in, Look out, because neither one of these guys could throw a shutdown. It's very difficult as a manager in a Game 7. Like, I keep going back to this Dodgers-Astros World Series always on my head, but they go into Game 7, and you Darvish gets ripped the first two innings, mm -hmm. and Dave Roberts didn't want to pull the string on him, didn't want to go out and get Clayton Kershaw or get somebody in. Uh, and before you know it, the Dodgers are down 5-0, two innings in, and the game is more or less over. You have to manage Game 7 very differently. Yeah. Zach Greinke is a star, but if he goes out there and he's in trouble in the first inning, sometimes you got to go and get him and get give him it out. to the bullpen and just figure out a way to get to the end. Like you, there's no loyalty in this one. You mm -hmm. need to just get out. So uh, it'll be interesting, like you said, if they get off to a, a good start with these bullpens both being pretty average. Yeah, maybe you do ride that start starter. But if they get off to a rough start, are you willing to go out and tell Max Scherzer, you know, a couple outs into a game? Like, we need to take you out because we need to get somebody who can get out. So yeah. uh, the managers will be uh, magnified. The spotlight will be on them. Any little move that doesn't work out, we're going to second-guess them. So uh, it will be a really fun afternoon. All right, coming up next here on NSN Daily, it's one of our favorite segments of the week. We will dip into Murray's mailbag when we come back. It is mailbag time brought to you by Laub. And every Sunday, Chris very generously goes to Twitter at MurrayNSN and opens up the mailbag and it takes uh, takes your questions and then he uh, locks himself into, into a room with a computer and, and the Buffalo Bills chair and it, it's like six or eight hours of yeah. focusing on this. How yeah. long how long did it take you this week? I think six or seven. Yeah. Some very angry Wolfpack football fans mm -hmm. out there too. Yeah. This is maybe the most set of negative questions I've ever answered but somewhat understandable given how the last month has gone. I did scroll season. through your t Twitter feed so I was stalking you on Twitter a little bit and some of them weren't even questions. No, they were just, just statements. Venting. That's all right. You can vent. <laughs> all right. All right. Cool. Uh, let's start off with Frank. Uh, at Mugtang, is it time for Nevada to consider <laughs> dropping to the FCS or dropping football altogether, Frank? But that, that shows you how upset fans were after that. We aren't investing was. in our program like other Mountain West schools. We're going to fall further behind. Yeah. Burn the stadium down, turn it into a parking lot. <laughs> they are uh, four and four. Uh, four and four. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they've made a bowl 11 of the last 14 seasons. Okay. That's pretty good. Yeah. But this is what has happened when Coach Alt has stepped away. They've yeah. struggled to hit that standard, and then people get a little bit upset. Like, I, I completely am cool with fans being upset, but 
you don't go down to the FCS, you don't drop the sport. I mean, no. they, they won eight games last year. Uh, you know, they've been actually one of the better teams in the Mountain West. You look at just the win-loss record since they joined the Mountain West in 2012, they have the seventh best record out of 12 teams. So yeah. if you're kicking them out, you got to kick out San Jose State, New Mexico, some of the schools like that. And they have invested a little bit more. I do think it's a bit of a misnomer that they haven't invested at all. They did put 14, 15 million into the stadium for the renovation uh, prior to the 2016 season. Their budget when Coach Norvell took over was 8.7 million. Last year it was 10.7 million. So that's a $2 million increase. Um, you know, they, they are clearly not as invested as a lot of programs. Coach Norvell, $500,000 a year salary, lowest in the Mountain West. They mm -hmm. have boosted up uh, the assistant pool. That ranks ninth or 10th in the 12-team conference. Um, so there are some things that they have done, and there, there needs to be some improvements. But, uh, you know, I don't think taking a step backwards. I mean, just for starters, being in the Mountain West gets the school 4 or $5 million a year just from the Mountain West distribution right, check. Right. You would hurt the rest of the other programs on campus if you pulled out of the Mountain West and you went FCS. So uh, this is a little bit of a rash reaction for me. I don't think Nevada is anywhere near that level. Um, but they do need to play a lot better uh, to close this season and to have some opportunities against some lesser Maybe players. Frank's a big sky guy. Maybe he <laughs> wants to see Nevada play Sacramento State and play Weber State and Southern Utah and, yeah. and but rekindle that Montana rivalry with those schools. I don't this. want to. <laughs> I don't want to, but maybe he's a big sky guy. But at the same time, Frank, I know you're going to be at the game Saturday, so uh, <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll have a happier uh, questions or maybe comments on uh, Sunday night. Uh, Keegan Engel, uh, with the current bad quarterback play, mm -hmm. Jesus, guys, <laughs> uh, do you think Caden Bennett is almost happy that the team is playing this way? Uh, no, nah, I season. mean, I would hope not. I would I hope, would hope uh, uh, no. Caden Bennett, the transfer from Boise yeah. State, originally from Northern Nevada, went to Folsom High School in Northern California. Yeah, no, I don't think that he's happy, but it's clearly nobody has supplanted anybody and said, this is my job in 2020. So will Caden get an opportunity just based on how the quarterback play is gone? Uh, yes. I mean, you're talking about a group of guys who have thrown 12 interceptions to accounting for six touchdown passes. Mm -hmm. So it has been a struggle at the quarterback position, which is a little bit surprising because Coach Norvell said before the season started, this is the most talented quarterback room that he's had at Nevada. So uh, the struggles at that position, while tied to the offensive line for me, yeah. uh, has opened the possibility that somebody else could be jumping into the mix next year. Uh, so Caden Bennett is a dual threat quarterback, not very tall, around six foot. Uh, but he actually hasn't even been necessarily running the scout team offense as the quarterback. Hamish McClure is often doing that, and Caden is being used as wide receiver in some sets. So it's not like he's like, okay, this is our guy for the future. Mm -hmm. But at this point, I mean, I think you're going to go into spring camp unless either Malik Henry or Carson Strong does something really, really great over the last month of the season where uh, it's still a possibility that somebody could win the job next season. I think Carson Strong is the guy. I mean, they've proclaimed him the future of the program, quote unquote. So, uh, you know, I think they have their eyes on him. But if Caden comes in there and will be eligible next season and is able to, uh, you know, do some things with his legs and with his arm, he's kind of similar to Christian Solano in that regard, mm -hmm. uh, then maybe he gets a crack at getting into the depth chart and getting a chance to play some games next season. But I would think that he's not, you know, fist pumping that his team and his teammates are struggling right. because that maybe opens up uh, some more playing time for him next season. I don't like looking at another season before one season is over. Mm -hmm. It's four and four, and there are win there are winnable, at least two winnable games still left on the docket. I mean, there are prognosticators that are already putting Nevada in a bowl game. I mean, this is this is not something that, you know, it, it, I don't like looking forward to next year, but what I'm looking forward to is the athleticism of Caden Bennett and where do you find a place for him mm -hmm. on this team. Is it at wide receiver or is it at quarterback? I don't know, but uh, I'll be very curious to see him play. Uh, JT Myers. <laughs> can can we get some love for the Wolfpack swimming and diving team? 
Didn't Brendan Bray, uh, the coach, yeah, sit here, here. Like, like a week ago? Uh, they're now 3-0 in dual meets, we know. 4-0 overall, we know. After routing both Fresno State and UC Davis, can the Pack win their second Mountain West swimming and diving title this year? They're looking strong. Yeah, I, I agree, J2. Mm -hmm. They are awesome. Oh, I love that program. Yeah. It's my favorite program. Mm -hmm. uh, no, they can win a Mountain West championship. They've already beaten San Diego State uh, in a meet earlier this season. Now, th those can sometimes be misleading. It's early in the season. There wasn't the diving element, which usually actually helps Nevada. Right. Um, but that was the team to beat uh, heading into the season. San Diego State won the championship last year. Nevada finished second. Nevada does have a little bit more depth. They're still pretty young. They only have one senior on the roster, I think uh, uh, six juniors. Uh, so it's not a super experienced team at the top of the roster. But when you get to the conference championship in swimming and diving, a lot of it is that depth. It's not yeah. can you win individual uh, events. It's can you place two or three in the finals because yes. that's how you rack up points. And that's where San Diego State has been better than Nevada the last couple of seasons. But it is kind of one of the great untold or unknown rivalries in the Mountain West is Boise State, San Diego State, Nevada swimming and diving. They're always the top three in yep. the conference. I do think Nevada has a really good chance of winning this season. And so far, they've gotten off to a really good start and uh, just overall with this swimming and diving program I think if you go back to when Nevada became full-fledged division one uh, you know FBS in 1992 and I'm gonna do this at some point I'm gonna rank all of the uh, you know athletic programs on campus and how they've done since that point uh, I think it's hard to argue that any program at Nevada has been better than Nevada swimming and diving mm -hmm. so really kudos to that program they've done it over a number of different coaches uh, except for Jin Lee Yu she's always been the diving coach she's, she's always kind rock. of been the wild card now, I mean, Brenda Bray sat in the chair right here between us and said, you know what, we didn't have the depth to win in the past because they just didn't have the numbers. Mm -hmm. Went out and got a very talented freshman class, a lot of transfers as well. And he goes, now, now we've got some of the players that we need to maybe make a run at this thing. But uh, so far, yeah, it's been outstanding for Nevada uh, swimming and diving. Uh, Damon at Nevada Pack Fan, not including any of the current guys who will appear on the next ballot. Who are your top 10, since that's how many voters can put down a single year, all-time baseball players who you think should be in the Hall of Fame but never got in? Yeah, I got Barry Bonds right at number one. I mean, he was a pretty be. good player. Very <laughs> should be. Probably should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, there. I mean, there's the steroid cloud, but I can guarantee you that there are some players in the Hall of Fame that use some kind of amphetamines mm -hmm. or steroids or some kind of performance enhancing drugs. So uh, I'm gonna kind of go, you know, just assume that everybody was kind of cheating because that appears to be what was happening. That was so the got, culture of baseball. Yeah, I got Barry Bonds number one, I got Roger Clemens number two, Shoeless Joe Jackson number three. I don't think you can necessarily prove that he was taking money to throw games. I think he hit somewhere around 400 in that World Series. Uh, Lou Whitaker at number four, Manny Ramirez five, Dale Murphy six, Mark McGuire, which I misspelled. I'll, I'll go and fix that. Uh, Fred Baker McGuire. <laughs> Right. Fred McGriff, eight, Gary Sheffield, nine, and Rafael Palmero, ten. I do not have a problem with Pete Rose not being in the Hall of Fame because mm -hmm. gambling on your team, uh, which he has admitted to doing, was clearly illegal. That uh, was something that uh, I don't know that he was throwing games, but it's literally posted on every single locker room in Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball, and he was cheating doing that. So I don't have a problem with him not being in. But I do think a lot of these steroid-tainted players uh, who defined the game in the 1990s. Barry Bonds is the best baseball player I've ever seen uh, in person or on television. He should be in the Hall of Fame. I love the fact that you got Sweet Lou in there yeah. at number four. Lou Whitaker, uh, Detroit Tigers second baseman, part of that great uh, double play combination of him and Alan Trammell. And uh, way, to, way to reach back a little bit like that. <laughs> I like that. But at the same time, I agree with you completely about Pete Rose. And I think it's tragic because Pete Rose will go down, in my opinion, as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, pure hitter Mm -hmm. of all time. I mean, you didn't have the power of Bonds and, you know, you if I, you want to throw guys out there like a Wade Boggs or DiMaggio or something like that, we could have this discussion over a 12-pack <laughs> and probably not have enough beer. Um, but, uh, yeah, I agree with you completely that bet on the game. It was illegal. 
is it a tragedy? I think it's a tragedy that a guy of that playing caliber and baseball mind is not in the Hall of Fame, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, finally, yeah, let's revisit this. <laughs> Julian Delgadio sends in, I mean, don't get me wrong, we love Julian, it's, it's all in fun. Um, he says, I think we should revisit if you can give yourself a nickname. <laughs> really? Uh, if Margulies, Alex Margulies, is getting away with the big honu, I think it's time I announced my title change as Minister of Culture at NSN. First off, Big Honu's the Big Honu. He is. I mean, people on the islands know him as the Big Honu. He is the Big Turtle. I mean, sorry, but yeah, I mean, calling yourself the Minister of Anything? Uh, he's got to prove it to me. That's the yeah. thing. Like, You're if he, test I'm going to give him a 20-question test, okay. and we can do it on the air. And some of them will be easier. Uh, like, I, one might be who's won the most world championships in MLB. Like, okay. he should be able to get Yankees. Yeah. And then I'll go a little bit more abstract. I'll say, like, in an official, uh, you know, formal dining room set, how many spoons or silverware pieces Good. do you have? Good. We're going to try and get all of these cultural items in there. And I said, if he can get 16 out of 20 then he's earned the title. I don't think he's going to get 16 out of 20. A B minus. So yeah. a B minus gets him. A B minus. Okay. I don't think that's too much to expect. Um, so if he can pass the test, I have no problem with it. I don't think it's actually that cool of a nickname either. Yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> he's really fighting for something that's really not I that I am the Minister of Culture. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, if he can pass the test, then I'm all for it. He's got to prove his worth. What, what is his reasoning behind <laughs> calling himself this? I, I'll he ask likes him movies, too. right? I mean, he I loves movies, and he's got a great, he does have a great uh, movie history background. He'll say a movie and a director, and I'm just like, huh? <laughs> Who? What? You know, granted, I was a guy who grew up watching Bill and Ted's and stuff like yeah. that. But, yeah, but outside of that, I agree with you. There needs to be a couple of sports questions in there yeah. that if you well, this job. This is the thing. I think he's going to struggle know. with the sports questions. Yeah. He'll be fine with the movies. He should be good with the music. Uh, maybe like art he might struggle with, but mm -hmm. I think it's what's going to trip him up is the sports questions, yeah, which yeah. will be very ironic. I just still think you, you should not be able to give yourself a nickname unless it's under different circumstances, <laughs> and I think the Big Honu stands as the Big Honu. If you want to join us on uh, here on NSA Daily in the discussion of Murray's Mailbag, just like I said, every Sunday, uh, follow Chris at Murray NSN, and every Sunday afternoon, evening, whenever... Chris finds some time. He's a father. He's a husband. He's got stuff to do on the weekends as well. Um, when he opens that up, uh, send the questions in. Uh, maybe meet less salt next yeah. week in some of the questions. But I'm hoping after a Nevada win <laughs> over New Mexico Everyone and, and a couple of good, maybe a couple of good exhibitions tonight, uh, maybe the questions will be a little. I don't want to say softer, but maybe more a little, positive. A little Fluffy, More upbeat. Fluffy. I don't know. This was a, this was a, these were some salty <laughs> dark, dark ages after it that. Was, it was pretty dark in some of that. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, he's a good friend of the program. He is back in the silver and black. Former Nevada linebacker Brandon Marshall is back in the NFL. We'll kick that around next. Welcome back to NSN Daily. Uh, good news this week about Brandon Marshall, former Wolfpack uh, linebacker who overcame so much to just get to that level of uh, literally Pro Bowl play yeah. uh, with the Denver Broncos being released by the Jaguars, finally gets the big contract with Denver, wins the Super Bowl, signs with the Raiders, and it seemed like it was a, a storybook sort of moment because, you know, the Raiders moving to Las Vegas. He went to Cimarron Memorial High School in Las Vegas, and then the Raiders cut him right at the end of camp. 
yeah, claiming that a, he was hurt. It was and a huge shock. Brandon said, nope, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so a little bit of a disagreement there, yeah. but obviously they left on good enough terms to be able to bring him back, and they've suffered some major injuries at that position. Uh, Vontez Burfitt was suspended for the season. They've lost two linebackers to injury since then. They waived one of them to sign Brandon. They actually signed a second linebacker as well. So they're just really hurting at the position. Go back to somebody who knows the defense, somebody who's a veteran and can probably step in and give you quality play. Uh, you know, right off the street. So uh, good to see him get another opportunity. He's not that old. I mean, he just turned 30, uh, I think, last month. So he should have a lot of football left in him, and this will give him the opportunity to prove that he's healthy, mm -hmm. to prove that he can still play at this level. And whether that means, uh, you know, coming back to the Raiders next year or not, he has the opportunity to at least put some tape out there to some other teams in the NFL and say, you know, I'm not ready to hang this up. I'm not ready to retire. This is a cool moment if you're uh, watching this on television, not listening on the radio, um, showing video of Brandon Marshall and Virgil Green being presented with their jerseys. This is at the Wolf Pack Walk last year when Nevada was at, at Colorado State. The thing about Brandon Marshall that you're going to get if you're the Raiders is you're not going to get the chip on his shoulder. You're not going to get somebody who has sour grapes yeah. about you let me go. And it made the show. It made the HBO hard knocks. That was like part of the storyline at the end of this. I, did, I don't have hard knocks, but I did get to see the clip of, oh, wow, that's the way it's going to go. huh? And then, yeah. But, but Brandon's not going to be like that. I, I don't see Brandon being the type of guy who goes, you know what, screw you guys, and yeah. I'm going to come in with an attitude. It, he just wants the opportunity to play, is mm -hmm. my thing. And you know what, I can't, I can't express how much I think he wants to play in Vegas. He's oh, yeah. He's play in the NFL in his hometown. Yeah, I think that would mean a tremendous amount to, you know, to be able to play in your hometown as an NFL player. Uh, for the college, you know, the college at UNLV did not want him to be mm -hmm. able to come down here, uh, like he said, become a man and then be able to have an NFL career and then come back to Vegas, I think would be huge. And there's a lot to play for still this year. I mean, the Raiders are still in the thick of the AFC West uh, race. I mean, you look at the Chargers have really struggled this season. The Broncos have really struggled this season. And the Chiefs, while the best team in the com uh, in the you know division, uh, has a major injury to Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. So the Raiders have gotten off to a solid enough start this season. Uh, if they can get some help at the linebacking court, they might get the eight or nine wins they might be able to push the Chiefs maybe get a playoff spot so uh, you know I think he'll really help them this year and if that means that he gets to stay with the team and play in Vegas next year I think that would obviously be a dream come true for him and, and something that uh, you know would actually be beyond his dreams because you would never imagine playing for an NFL team in your hometown if your hometown didn't have an NFL team growing up so I right. think it would be a really cool moment if it happened uh, but he'll get the opportunity this season to, to prove and show that you know I belong on your team next year as well. Well that's the thing is that he's not a fringe player this is a yeah. guy that belongs in the starting lineup in the National Football League. And, you know, Vegas loves a story. Vegas loves the glitz. And the, they love the fact that they're going to be able to go, our hometown guy, uh, he played at Nevada, but uh, <laughs> he, he's, he's, he's playing here in front, of, in front of people that grew up down the street from him and, got, and his foundation, and he supports kids in Las Vegas. So I think it's a great story for Brandon. It really couldn't happen to a nicer guy. The Raiders um, this weekend taking on the uh, Detroit Lions, and you can catch that game. It's a 1 o'clock kick uh, on our sister station, Fox 11. But, uh, yeah, we wish all the best, of course, to Brandon Marshall. Coming up next year on NSN Daily, the NCAA, yeah, making a major decision when it comes to college athletes being able to profit off their own likeness. We're going to delve into that next. Well, it is finally out there. The NCAA, the uh, top decision makers there, have uh, started to clear the way for athletes to modify the rule that athletes will now be able to profit off of their likeness themselves, meaning sell autographs, mm -hmm. I mean, sign, sign jerseys. I mean, get, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, for me, uh, I, I'm really just trying to wrap my head around this and how, 
how this can't create bad things. It's going to be tough. You I mean, I, and I'm not 100% sold the NCAA is full bore on this as well. I mean, yeah. you read the release and it's like, yeah, we want to talk about it, but they don't really have a plan in place. So mm -hmm. yeah, how are you going to, uh, you know, kind of balance allowing uh, players to sell their name and likeness so they could do commercials, they could host, uh, you know, camps that kids go to, they yeah. could sell autographs, they can do all of those kinds of things while also trying to steal, steer clear of recruits basically being bought by schools. I mean, yeah. you could have a uh, car dealership uh, at Alabama saying, you know, Brandon Cajo, if you want to come out here, we'll give you a million dollar, uh, you know, endorsement deal over the life of your, you know, tenure at, at Alabama. So it's, it's very difficult to try and figure out uh, exactly how this is going to work, but I do think that they at least need to go in this direction, use the Olympic model, uh, give student athletes a chance to make some money on the side by using their name and likeness, and it doesn't come out of the money for the athletic department. So yeah. it's not an extra charge on them. They should be all for it. It's just, it's going to be hard to uh, legislate and to be able to uh, you know, make sure that nothing is bad going on behind the scenes, but we're probably pretty naive to think that nothing bad is going on behind the scenes as is right now. Yeah. So uh, we'll see how it all shakes out and, and whether this happens in the next couple of years. But uh, the funny thing to me is, you know, on Twitter, everyone just wants to see the video game come back. The NCAA yeah. football uh, right. that everybody loved and they had to, you know, basically, uh, you know, cancel it just because uh, they were using name and likeness without giving money to the student athletes. So uh, there might be some benefits to the gamers out there as well if this all goes through. Now they want these rules implemented by January 2021. One, I don't know if they can get it done that quickly, but two, I still just see a Pandora's box. I, yeah. I see going down the rabbit hole here, and I don't want to be all doom and gloom and everything, but you know, when, when you have certain universities in this country that have booster groups that donate $25 million a year just to the football program, that's not money coming from the university. That's private citizens, me and you, saying I'm gonna write a check to X university or the university of X mm. and I'm gonna help them raise that type of money. Is it legal? Yeah, it's legal. It's not illegal to do it. But now I, I just, I'm afraid that this opens the door to other things that like you said, hey, um, so-and-so from whatever high school, we're gonna, we're gonna build you a house yeah. because you endorsed us. We're gonna give your family or whatever money for a house. Not that that stuff isn't probably happening <laughs> right now behind closed doors, but now, it could happen in broad daylight. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see exactly how that, that sorts out because California has pushed the issue. Mm -hmm. And they've actually gone, they, they released another statement in California yesterday that the NCAA is not going far enough and we're actually gonna go even further than that. So does the NCAA have to change its legislation to meet what California is saying uh, to make it fair for all of the states. So it's very tricky, but there's just so much money in college athletics right now that I do think some of the money should go to the student athletes. Mm -hmm. They're putting in a ton of hours. They don't have time to go and get a second job because their first job uh, is what whatever sport they play and their second job is making sure they do everything well in the classroom and are eligible. So uh, yeah, it is going to open a Pandora's box. Are there going to be some things and some rules that are taken advantage of? Yes. Uh, but I do think in the long run, it could actually benefit a school like Nevada because you could go to a bigger program and if you're a third stringer there, you're not going to be getting any marketing opportunities. But if you go to Nevada and you're a star uh, and you turn into a guy who the community knows and loves, then maybe you do get some opportunities mm -hmm. to do commercials or sell your autograph or do camps. So uh, it might you might be able to, as Nevada, be able to sell a recruit. But, you know, Don't go to this Power 5 school where you're not going to be able to play a lot right off the start and not be able to create a name likeness that could actually build you value over the years come to us we'll try and play you immediately uh, you can get that name and likeness up and then you know you'll probably be able to profit off it down the long road we got some insight from uh, stadium our partners in chicago and jeff goodman they're a basketball insider on the latest development here with the ncaa 
fairly big news with the NCAA Board of Directors now allowing student-athletes to benefit uh, from their name, image, and likeness. This is obviously a, a step in the right direction. But the big question is, how is the NCAA going to implement this? Uh, they're asking all the divisions, Division One, Two, II, and Three, to come up with uh, their set of rules and recommendations that will go in place no later than January 2021. But this is not like players are now going to be allowed to be paid. Uh, there are going to be rules. There are going to be restrictions. And the big question, as one coach just texted me, they don't trust the NCAA to get this thing right. That's the big question. How do they implement this? What do they do? Uh, and what comes next? Because obviously their track record has not been great uh, recently or um, even dating back uh, for a while in terms of uh, changing rules for the betterment of, uh, of the game. So again, a step in the right direction, but we'll still see how this thing plays out. Jeff Goodman uh, with Stadium in Chicago um, coming to us from his house in Boston. But, uh, yeah, I, I, to me when coaches, and of course he's not going to name a source, but when a coach goes, I don't trust the NCAA to get this right, that spooks me a little bit. It's not a good thing no. when the members don't believe the organization is competent enough to lay out the rules that can be followed and enforced. Yeah. And that's always been the issue with the NCAA. It's just nobody has confidence that they're going to A, do the right thing, and B, can follow through and make sure everybody's playing by the same rules. So that is a major concern. And if your members don't believe in you, that, that is a difficult bridge that they're going to have to cross when they do kind of you know dot the I's and cross the T's on whatever they end up putting in place as far as name and likeness goes. We will see what happens between now and January of 2021. We'll be right back here with our final thoughts here on NSN Daily right after this. Wrapping things up here on NSN Daily. Halloween officially, Nevada <laughs> Day officially. I know that there's uh, people out there that are, are passionate about this. And we'll talk about Halloween and how the Murrays are going to be celebrating Halloween uh, tomorrow. But uh, when it comes to Nevada Day and it comes to the UNLV game, there's Sean Carey is one of our, our, our viewers, and he yeah. came on dressed as Brian Polian last year and carved us a pumpkin. That was great and all that. Haven't seen it this year, Sean. That's <laughs> no, he was great. And he's a passionate guy about the Nevada UNLV game should be played on Nevada Day weekend. What are your thoughts? What do you like? Uh, I th it makes perfect sense. I mean, I think just having a specific date that you play the game every single year makes a lot of sense. Why Nevada and UNLV have picked the last regular season game of the year is that's your traditional rivalry week. They see and uh, envision a scenario where either somebody's playing for bowl eligibility or they're playing for a West Division championship and that could raise the stakes even more. The problem with that is a lot of students are off campus. You have mm -hmm. Thanksgiving weekend and then a lot of students are gone so the attendance for that game has fallen quite a bit being placed on the last game of the season. Right. So I do think moving back to Nevada Day would A, help attendance, and B, would probably add a little bit more emphasis to the game because you have something to look forward to a little bit earlier in the yeah, season because yeah. of where these two programs are heading right now. So I would be all for it, but Nevada and UNLV get to pick the date, and the last few years they've picked this date specifically the end of the regular season over Nevada Day weekend. I think it ought to be played on Nevada Day weekend. I understand the culmination of the season. Uh, anything that hurts attendance and students can't be at the game against your biggest rival, you have to choose, oh, do I go home and see mom and dad or grandma for Thanksgiving and give up that great meal and come ready with my family mm -hmm. or see the Wolfpack play the Rebels. The second part of it is that I think they ought to be able to go back to being able to wear blue and versus red and one year, make it an anniversary year, play it in Tonopah. Let's play it halfway <laughs> between the North and the South. Thanks very much for joining with us here on NSN Daily. We'll see you tomorrow. Tonopah.